This is TDPS. Hi, I'm Eric Shaw Quinn, and everyone here at TDPS would like to congratulate my co-host and best friend, Christopher Rice, also known as steamy romance author C. Travis Rice, on the publication of Sapphire Storm, the third novel in his Sapphire Cove series. Sapphire Storm is the drama-filled tale of a forbidden romance that exposes old secrets and incurs the wrath of the powerful and the famous. It went on sale March 7th, along with the first two entries in the series, Sapphire Sunset and Sapphire Spring. It's available wherever eBooks are sold. Congratulations, C. Travis Rice, and congratulations, Christopher. I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. Do you have a question or comment about this podcast? Then come share it with us on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash the dinner party show, no spaces, and we'll do our best to answer it on the show. Just watch out for our aggrieved manservant, Shea Butters. He moderates the page and he's been known to talk smack about the two of us. Most of what he says about you is true, though. We can discuss this later. That's right, at Facebook.com slash The Dinner Party Show. No, I meant in the car. Hi, I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And you're listening to TDPS Presents Christopher. And Eric, and whoever that is doing Christopher's <laughs> uh, voice in this opening sequence, because <laughs> I'm never quite sure who that's supposed to be. It's me doing an Eric impersonation. It's Breck Artery. It's the dulcet tones of Eric Shaw Quinn I infecting see. his co-host. I see. <laughs> listen, listen. Yes. Okay. Eric Shaw Quinn. Uh, yes. Listen. Linda. I'm going to get, I'm going to, as the young people say, I'm going to allow, I'm going to hold space for something that you're going through currently. And I think this is going to become a trend on our podcast going forward. Hold space? I'm going to hold space for the emotional process of your renovation because I'm thinking that in order for us to do our podcast, you're going to need a minute or two at the beginning of every episode to just unload about what you are being put through with the renovation of your new home. So go. I'm going to sit here and drink some tea. I, you know, it is, I will just say that it would seem to me that if you were to renovate a, a, a house of some sort and you were to hire and pay people, they would behave like you had hired them and you were paying them. <laughs> As opposed to... Uh-huh. Somehow they were doing you a favor and you were doing a really shitty job of being right. the guy who owns the house and pays them. I I don't know how that works exactly, but apparently that's, I don't know, it's the new thing. It's what all the kids are doing now. I have no idea, but like a tip to anyone out there, um, if you are in fact contracting to do a job and somebody pays you to do it, they're the boss, and you should do what they say. <laughs> you should maybe even consider being nice to them because, you know, they're giving you money and stuff. I right. do not have any idea I've been through. Mm-hmm. I just It just blows my mind. Let me put it this way. As I put it to you last night on the phone when we were talking about this, anyone who thinks women are too emotional— or the, excuse me, I fucked up my own joke. Anyone who thinks women are more emotional than men has never renovated a house. I am telling you, those men are nuts. In fact, <laughs> the women that I have worked with on renovation are tough. Mm-hmm. They're maybe still nuts, but they're tougher and they're more like get it done kind of guy. Because right. the, the women who are on the project have 
actually reacted to the, I mean, just operatic levels of emotional <laughs> response from some of the men on the project. It's yeah. just, I have been through this round, the last couple mm-hmm. of rounds with one of the subcontractors where I, I'm literally like hiring people to like be around him and make everything mm-hmm. work so that there's no more outbursts. I would, if he doesn't do it this week, I will, I will just fire him. But, yeah. But honestly, like, we're at a point it has taken since like, July, August, September, October, like five or six months mm-hmm. to get the entire thing set up to happen next week. And so right. it's really too late to just sort of say get out to people. It's mm-hmm. like it's opening night and your diva is losing your mind and you just have to get the show open. Right. And that's kind of where we are. I can't afford – I would like to fire the diva, but I can't because mm-hmm. I need her to be there on opening night and then, you know – I don't know, we can push her off a balcony or something and collect the insurance. I have no idea after that. But I need for this next step to happen right. because there are lots of steps that come after it. So mm-hmm. it has really been, yeah, it is. it has been a surprisingly dramatic, you know, it reminds me, our friend Jillian mm-hmm. um, was doing some renovation at her house and we were set up to have a conference call about something, Mm -hmm. some marketing something or another that we're working with her on. And she said, I'm having renovation, I'm having some renovation done. Can we do it like on Friday as opposed to Monday or something like that? And I was like, wow, you can get renovation done in five days? And she said, well, I thought it was too long at that. We may have to fly Jillian in. (laughs) We need Jillian to take over our renovations. To get my house finished because (laughs) I'm kind of at the end of my rope with trying to convince people Mm -hmm. that, you know, what the hell? Why don't we just do this? It could be fun to finish this house and never have to see each other ever again. Remember that several thousand dollars I gave you? Remember that? Uh Keep it in your mind and maybe do the job. Maybe you bought yourself something nice. Carry it around with you to remind you that I did actually give you thousands of dollars. Um, Yeah. Oh, boy. Oh, so, boy. Yeah. So that continues to be what it is. You know, in the long run, I'll have this wonderful new house if it's ever finished. If it's but, ever finished, yeah. Um, meanwhile, my God, yeah. I feel like I'm earning it. Yeah, I am literally, if you buy a new house and plan to renovate it, bear in mind that it's like you have taken a second full-time job. And I already mm-hmm. have two or three anyway, but mm-hmm. like this is actually a full-time job. I go in in the mornings and sit for five to six hours at the computer and the phones to get things done towards mm-hmm. getting this house done. And then, P.S., then I have to do everything else I have to do. Right. Write books and, like, there's been no progress on the book. Sorry, guys. Um, <laughs> just, I don't know when it would happen. In right. my sleep, apparently, right. because that's the only free time I actually still have. Mm-hmm. Anyway, but we're here. We're here and we're doing something other than talking about your renovation all month. We're having actually kind of a special, um, a, yes. I guess, it's, you know, we've been doing a lot of theme stuff. So we're starting out with sort of a special kind of theme about something that is near and dear to our hearts. It's a celebratory true crime TV club theme, yes. sort of. The Crown is coming back on Netflix for Which its final season. We just love. We hope you do too, but I, I don't really care. I just love it. It is one of my favorite television things that anybody has ever done. And I think by the time this episode posts, the season will already be starting, but Eric and I are waiting until we're together at the holidays to watch the... The season's coming in two parts, and I think they will all be up 
by Christmas at the latest. It's Netflix, so they're all up right from the start. No, they're dividing it into two parts. Oh, they're that's They're doing right. four episodes, and then there's a break, and then I think it's four more episodes or I five. I really hate that. Yeah. I have a theory on why they're doing it, but it's spoilery, so I won't say. But we are delivering up in the next uh, TDPS month, which, as I always say, does not start on the first of the month, which is confusing for some of our party people. We're going to do two episodes of a show called Royal Inquest. And one of those episodes, or one half of those I'm episodes. I'm being pointed at like I'm, this is going to be on the test. <laughs> one half of those so episodes. So y'all help me remember this. One half of those episodes features an incident that was not and will never be in The Crown because they've moved past it without doing it. And I it was. It was not. It was not. Here's the thing. This episode of Royal Inquest, because of how Amazon categorizes or indexes these episodes, um, there's a whole season of this show as one product where it's numbered the episodes and has more detailed synopses, and then they're available as individual sort of documentary movies, and I looked at the individual one for the episode we're going to do in this episode. How confusing can I make this? Oh, my God. I have no <laughs> idea what we're even talking about anymore. What show is this? Give me another ball of red string. Oh I need to draw to No. Anyway, there are two different royal incidences covered in the episode we're going to do today, and they were not both listed in the synopsis I incidences? was looking at. Incidences? Incidences. Incidences. <laughs> not incidents. Incidences. 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 <laughs> It's going to be a song from our musical, Don't Don't Bring Diego. <laughs> Domingo. Don't Bring Domingo. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, That's a joke from our trip, too. You um, do that all the time. You make these inside jokes Amsterdam, on the show. Amsterdam, sorry. And I'm like, do we need footnotes on this episode? We, we, our, our lives need footnotes. We're going to do the, uh, we could do a series called Footnotes. Yeah, we could. Where we just listen to our episodes. We could do a Mystery Science 3000 of our own episodes and explain what the fuck we're talking about. That's great. And you know what, Eric? That's a wonderful set. That's a one. These are, po I'm positive. This is enthusiastic pointing because you did a good job. It's going to be a big test. Let me Clintonize it. I just okay. turned it into bent fingers and a thumb because that's what Bill Clinton used to do instead of pointing at people. Because um, he has huge fingers. It was alarming. It was. Because <laughs> he's an alien. Hands like a. An, yes. Yes. Okay. We're doing. We're just, we've started something new called the VIPP, very important party people insider episode, and we're going to be doing okay. one about the crown coming up, and we don't really know when. Probably in the next few weeks, and these are available. <laughs> when we figured out how to do this, but we're going to keep talking about it. So stick around. But they're available to our newsletter subscribers right. when we make them available, and the code will go out to you, and you will be able to access them in a special area of our website. It's all free. You just have to sign up for our newsletter. We're not charging for any of this. VIPP stands for very important party people. All of our party people are very important to us, but the yeah. VIPPs are the people who have signed up for, for a special Facebook group, and the admission is newsletter subscription. Right. You, yes. Free. And then we'll have private discussions in the special um, group, and you'll get links to the VIPP episodes right. in the uh, newsletters themselves. And the thing about these episodes— When we figure out how the hell how to the do How the fuck we're this. doing. We're going to talk with great confidence about it on our podcast, but behind the scenes, it's a smoking room. So if it's not happening, just bear in mind that it's us, and we'll eventually do it, but it'll take us a while to figure out how it works. I, absolutely. Um, and I think the thing that— that is a hallmark of the first two of these episodes that we're doing is they're really spoilery. Like we try, unless we're going to serve up a whole episode of something on this show, which is what we do. If we talk about a movie or a TV show in passing, we try not to spoil the ending because you're you're very big. Excuse me, Clintonizing my hands. 
You're very big to Clinton hands it's right now. It's going to be a pointy kind of day. You're very big on not spoiling things. I am too. I think it's the right thing to do. I'm anti-spoiler. Yeah, and particularly if you're like talking about the episode. But once you're in the episode, we always warn people we're going to do... It'll be spoilery. And with the VIPP stuff, it's stuff that we really want to encourage people to actually watch. Yeah. So they can interact with us in the conversation about it. Totally. You still don't have to. It'll still be spoilery, but we won't do the same level of description that we do on the regular show. we won't. You'll you'll have to have some insider knowledge or you'll just have to go with what you get. So let let me say this as a way of talking about The Crown again. I feel like this show is a conversion show. You talk to somebody about this show, and they're like, yeah, I'm not watching a soap opera about the House of Windsor. And I'm like, you know what? I kind of felt the same way. Give it a chance. It's not what you think. And Jillian, who we talked about earlier, became a convert after being, you know, she's more of a dark sort of thriller, paranormal person. Similar story with me. But what um, happened as a result of watching The Crown is I started watching all these documentaries about the House of Windsor. Uh, not just the House of Windsor, going yes. back to the British monarchy. And then we went to London and we went to Westminster Abbey and all these places. Right, to sort of flesh out some of the stuff we'd seen. But yeah, it's a fascinating, it's an endlessly fascinating topic, all of the different intricacies of monarchy in general. And if you're a soap opera fan in general, it's one of the, the world's longest and greatest soap opera, really, any monarchy, dating back hundreds of but, years. But, yeah. yeah. It, it doesn't, it doesn't, you don't see it and go, oh yeah, that would be a fascinating television show. That's not your first reaction. And, and this is a, this is an interesting take on seeing the, 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 the true crime aspect right. of, of, a what's it called? Inqu- Royal, Royal Inquest. Royal Inquest. Okay. So what I was going to say about this is like, it turned out you weren't sure you had seen an episode of Royal Inquest before. And it turned out you had, I never had, but this is what I knew. There are two tiers in terms of quality, in terms of Royal documentaries okay there's the highbrow the the talking heads the interview subjects have all written <laughs> weighty biographies of queen victoria and they went to oxford and eaton right and majored in royal yes. history or whatever it was and they're very plummy their accents are very plummy and then there's the flame red hot ladies who will just talk trash about fergie for an hour if, into their zoom cameras you know what i mean so they're like two and I wasn't quite sure where Royal Inquest was going to fall on that spectrum. And I would say it fell kind of close to the top. It was pretty quality. It's newsier yeah. than that. It's not as plummy as that. It's more sort of newsy. But it it doesn't drop into the sort of gossipy quality. The um, There was a certain amount of... Um, shock and how can you... Can oh, yeah. you imagine such a thing happening with Absolutely. the... Absolutely. Um, the other... The, I, it is a series that we have seen before because the reason I had watched it before is because there was the episode about Mary's husband's brother being killed in that plane crash. Oh, yeah. And there was, spec- yeah. there was like, was he murdered? Was he killed in a plane crash? Yeah. And it's like, yeah, he was killed in a plane crash. So like, knock that's it off. Actually, but that's Royal Inquest, no, isn't it? No, it's a different show. That's Royal Murder Mysteries, and Royal Murder Mysteries goes really trashy really quick. I'm telling you. And that episode was weak. We didn't do that on this show, but we, no. you and I talked about it. Because George is rumored to have been, if not gay, bisexual. Absolutely bisexual. And so they were trying to soup that in with 
this clearly wartime military plane crash that has that no nothing to do with it. He was not murdered. I watched yeah. it. When, let me clear this up for you. No, he was not. Okay, he was not murdered. Move on. Yeah, you can erase these tapes because no, absolutely. Oh. Now, this is this is actually a different show because Royal Murder Mysteries goes back further so that they can lie more and and, and speculate harder. Like they do, I think they did one. Did they deliberately kill King George so that they could make the Monday morning papers as opposed to the Sunday evening papers? Oh. Like it's that level of bullshit. <laughs> yeah, it was like no, they didn't. They yeah. just didn't do that. The paper will, they literally will hold the paper for the right. king is gonna, or they'll redo it. Or yeah, it's a big enough deal that you. Don't actually have to kill the king to yeah. to make the papers. You don't. You don't. It's it's how the, it's how kings worked in that period and in the United still Kingdom. does. Like when Elizabeth went, it was pretty much stop the presses and every billboard in the country and everything yeah. in the whole world was oh my god, Queen Elizabeth is gone. So as I said, this is actually going to be two different chapters from royal history. The first one was not covered in the series The Crown, and it is the. Attempted Kidnapping of Princess Anne. Christopher and I, and all of us at TDPS, are still grieving the loss of my dear friend and our beloved premier party person, Anne Rice. But my mother's literary legacy gave birth to a diverse and wonderful community of readers and fans who continue to celebrate her work online. We invite you to join them on the Facebook page dedicated to Anne's legacy. That's where you'll receive the latest updates on new editions of her work and all the exciting changes coming to the AnneRice.com website. Also on the Anne Rice Facebook page, you can join the mailing list to receive all the latest news and information about her forthcoming celebration of life in New Orleans. That's at facebook.com slash Anne Rice fan page, no spaces. If you believe, as we do, that Anne's work is as immortal as her characters, then join us at Anne Rice fan page on facebook.com. See you there. I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And Eric and I aren't just podcasters. And bitches. That's right. We're also authors. And you can buy all of our books at www.thedinnerpartyshow.com or tdps.tv and wherever ebooks are sold. At thedinnerpartyshow.com or tdps.tv, you can check out my Right Murder mystery series. Or sample my Burning Girl thrillers. The best part is, the more you buy our books, the less likely we'll end up filling the spot with an annoying ad for a napkin that counts your calories. The TDPS Network, alienating potential advertisers one promo at a time. So this special starts with a declaration in the voiceover that I feel should take the form of a question posed to Eric Shaw Quinn. Was Princess Anne the Princess Di of her day? I think to the extent that she was a trendsetter and a fashion plate and that regarded in in that way, yes. But no, she was—there's just no comparison between— 
Princess Anne. <laughs> Princess, no. Princess Anne is the most royal member of the royal family. Yeah. Nobody, maybe even the queen, was more royal than Princess Anne. She is yeah. about duty and stiff upper lip and go along to get along and do what you, you, you know, like none of that mm-hmm. rebelliousness or do whatever you want to do or scandal is no problem. None of that was her. No. But she was young and beautiful and... She was what they. She was the princess they had on offer, and so her romances were followed. And she's probably more akin to Prince, the way Prince Charles has been followed over the years, mm-hmm. than 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 Princess Di, because she just married into the family, whereas Princess Anne grew up in the family. She's she she did not go the Princess Margaret route. No, of being another, scandal. Yeah. who might be more comparable to Lady Di then. But again, she was born in the family, so mm-hmm. it's still not like came yeah. in and just tried to blow the place up. All right. So the story is this. It's a cold spring night in London. I think the year is 1974, but I was too lazy to put it in my show notes. (laughs) Princess Anne exits a movie premiere and ducks into a maroon Austin limousine alongside her husband at the time, Captain Mark Phillips. They've been married for four months, and he's a captain in the British Army, and Eric is having trouble. He's like, British captain, you say? No, I was rolling my eyes at maroon. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the 70s. Design and style in the 70s. Okay. Just a few feet away from the car, a man is watching them. He's in a rental car. And he knows Anne's car is a royal car because it's got a blue light on top. The princess has one security guard. His name is James Beaton. He's a 30-year veteran of the British police force. And back in the 1970s, no security was following the vehicle, and the limousine itself didn't even have a radio. Wow. It was a different time. The, yeah. the idea, there was a sense of, you know, what was and wasn't done, and this wasn't done. So yeah. there was no real sense of threat, I think. Like, I, people used to meet people at the gate at the airport, you know, mm-hmm. like, and then people with box cutters crashed planes into the yeah. World Trade Center, and that completely changed. But until then, it mm-hmm. was... Pretty casual. You could yeah. kind of come and go as you wanted to at the airport. It was oh, yeah. no big deal. And so I think until something like that really happens, the idea that it will happen, I always say I would be a really terrible criminal because I hear about what the crime is and what people went through to commit the crime. And I think it would just never occur to me to go to that much trouble to do right. whatever it was they were doing. And so I think that we go along with a sense of security that mm-hmm. until somebody proves us otherwise, we just believe in it. it was certainly the case in the yeah, 70s. My God, nobody gave a shit about anything. Child safety. Children couldn't get molested. You know, <laughs> go down and swim naked in front of groups of men sitting on bleachers at the, whatchamacallit. <laughs> which is actually which something actually you did. Which happened to yeah. me when I was um, in, now when I look back on it, it seems like, oh my God, this yeah, is, no. you know, Chester the Molester recruiting zone. Yeah. But, um, but at the time, it was yeah, not, that couldn't happen. Nobody, no, nobody, would, nobody would, would do that. That would be terrible. These are these are good Christian men. Yeah, according to my notes, four hundred years before they reach Buckingham Palace, a white Ford Escort swerves in front of the car and comes to a halt. So we're in an episode of Bodies on Netflix all of a sudden, which just gives you a sense of you know what a long-standing uh, <laughs> staple the Ford Escort really is. <laughs> Memorial car. All right. 400 yards, I believe it should be. Um, Beaton gets out of the car thinking it's a fender bender. So does the driver of the escort. Excuse me. So so he does get out of the car. 
He then shoots a bullet through the rear window, narrowly missing Princess Anne's head. Beaten ducks behind the car, fires off one shot, and then his gun jams. He realizes at this point he has been shot in the chest. Meanwhile, Princess Anne is in the back seat, hearing these gunshots, when the gunman yanks the door open, grabs her by the arm, and demands she get out of the car. Now, this is when the special chooses to flashback, but let's just get into what she said. This is my favorite part of this entire story, and this is why I love Princess Anne, Mm -hmm. because Princess Anne is being kidnapped on the Mall in front of Buckingham Palace, and she is not having it. What does she say to the kidnapper when he demands she get out of the car? She just basically says, I'm not going anywhere with you. (laughs) She says, I think not. (laughs) (laughs) Or what does she say? It's in my notes here somewhere, but they had to do a flashback at this point because that's how these shows create false. It's not bloody likely I'm going to go with you. Yes, that's it. I just made her a Cockney uh, character from Oliver the Musical. Which she didn't say, which wouldn't have been her accent, but that is what she said. It's just the... The, the reason that this kidnapping attempt failed, not to mention the heroics of the men involved in the situation, was that Princess Anne had no interest in being kidnapped and right. was not going to do it. Right. Like, and I've always said that about, like, if somebody comes up to me with a gun in a public place and says, get in this car and go with me, I'll be like, no, you need to kill me here in front of all of these witnesses. I'm not going to yeah. go somewhere private with you so you can kill me in secret. You're going to have to do it in front of everybody, God and everybody. Which, incidentally, is law enforcement's advice to p- women in particular, but potential victims do not get in the car. Don't Dude, go with throw your kidnapper. A fit, scream, fight, do not go. Piss on them, do yeah. whatever you have to do, yeah. but do not get in the car. And she was not. <laughs> she was she would not go. Her husband or, or her fiance, I guess at this point. No, I think they were they, married. Were they married by this point? Yeah. Also, he got a hold of the other side of her. Right. So it right. was a tug of war with Princess right. Anne. So yeah. the the guy with the kidnapper was pulling her one arm, and her husband was holding onto her other arm to prevent her from being dragged out of the car. But the real, the real reason Princess Anne didn't get kidnapped was she wasn't doing it. Yeah, absolutely. So backstory on Anne here, which we'll get through really quickly. Uh, she she uh, has a passion for horseback riding. She loves the royals. She wants world peace, and she's a baton twirler. No, no. she um. She's a very public royal, as you were saying. She is a trendsetter. She worked a lot with children's charities. That's how she built up her reputation as a hardworking royal, which means she's in the media all the time. So if you are someone who is deeply imbalanced, like Ian Ball, this kidnapper is, she is a potential fixation. And he developed a fixation. He began to stalk her is essentially what he was doing. Right. Um, he, Ian Ball himself is having a hard time. He's a loner with a burglary conviction. He lives in a concrete housing block. His father dies when he's five years old. By 16, he drops out of school. He's working odd jobs, even assisting an undertaker, which they drop in as if that's the most morbid thing ever. I just It's a, just a job, guys. I, I thought that was a weird note. Like, so that most of the people yeah. who are undertakers, I think, would be more 
you know, cooler, calmer, and collected about life than than most people. I think people the, dealing with the reality of life on a right. daily basis. The percentage of undertakers who have actually tried to kidnap a public figure, I believe, is very, very small. Yeah, I think it's him. Maybe I think it's, Ian it's, Ball. it's him, and he really wasn't an undertaker. He just Assisted maybe one. did sweeping up at their shop or something. Uh, he is diagnosed with schizophrenia by the time he's nineteen. So, and we talk about this all the time on this podcast with with mental illness and addiction. It gets reported after the fact by specials like these, and it doesn't get acknowledged as a potential contributing factor along the way. You know, oh, his life was so terrible he began to drink, or or maybe he had a compulsive drinking issue before, which was why it was exacerbating his issues. But in this case, it was schizophrenia. That was the diagnosis. Yeah, that's, yeah that, and that's, you know, its own tragic. He had even been institutionalized, hadn't he? Uh, I think I think he might have. I may have left that out because it was just such a buffet of well, dysfunction. Well, there were two of there were the the challenge for me with this one was that they they broke it into two different incidents, right. and so there was two different. I think that's our chapter two. I think it's maybe chapter two that that was institutionalized prior to because this was in the early days, and maybe that he didn't get good enough care. But whatever the case was, he was unbalanced and he had become obsessed with Anne, who was a very noteworthy public figure and had come up with this idea to save himself by kidnapping her and then asking for 25 million pounds or something. yeah, a lot of money. Even for that day, that's a big ask. Like to ask for a million pounds in 1974 would have been jaw-dropping. It would have been the Dr. Evil, a million pounds. People would have actually thought, oh, wow, that's a lot. 25 million pounds would have been beyond anybody's imagination. But, But, I mean, a testament to how unwell he was is that he thought he would get out of his financial and emotional troubles by getting maximum publicity for kidnapping Anne. Yeah. In addition to the ransom he wanted. He would be famous for it. We wanted to become famous for it. So he plans this pretty methodically. He studies her daily routine. Um... It turns out, at which they will discover later, spoiler alert, his fingerprints are on file for petty crimes, and that's how they discovered that he traveled to Madrid beforehand to buy two revolvers and a five-round thirty-eight, and an 11-round twenty-two. So he was arming himself pretty sufficiently for this. And this was a wonderful example of the more sort of upper-crust narration of this particular series was the reaction to him. And he just smuggled them back on the ferry. And there was a certain, like, you could just bring anything on one of those ferries. The ferry people, Like, I as opposed to putting it in the trunk of your car and driving it back through the channel, like, right. which would be so much harder. But um, there wasn't it. When was the channel built? Not until... <laughs> way, way, way but after it's, this. The tunnel is is it when the narration, the, the snobby narration the is happening was, in the yes, era of the yes, tunnel. Yes, yes. So, right. the, it, like, okay, let's not get too grand about the ferry. It was the only way yeah. to get back and forth. And I guess you could smuggle stuff just about any way. Was this the age of the hovercraft ferry? Did you ever see footage of that? I this may be early. I'm not sure. This may yeah. be early for the hovercraft ferry. I'm I'm not the you know, the guy to go to on nautical history. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> I'm the guy to go to on old YouTube videos about transportation, and I watched one, but I don't remember the date. But it would be that sort of yeah. time zone because that would have been the sort of futuristic solution. Mm. The, this era would have been the hovercraft ferry, the development of, if not the implementation of, the hovercraft ferry and the Concorde would have right. happened right around 
this yeah. time frame because the SST died in the 70s, didn't it? I think so. Well, the the SST predated the Concorde, right? It was the rival was Concorde the, that it was failed. The, the U.S. supersonic transport. Yeah. Well, nobody would li- let them land it anywhere, and so they just stopped pursuing it. Right, yeah. It didn't really fail. It would have probably been a successful airplane, but they wouldn't accommodated at any American airports because of the boom. It creates a sonic boom when it takes and off. And like, yeah, we're not doing lands. that. Yeah. Um, so they never developed it, and so the Concorde sort of, you know, ate everybody else's lunch and then was turned Had out to be unsafe. Problems. But This is now an aviation podcast. Watch me. I could turn it into that really quickly. Oh, I, that's why I figured I would just say that, and you would yeah. be able to snap on dates. And Well, I don't know about the SST. I know that the Concorde was in... Uh, the the Concorde was only British Airways and Air France in the end, and I think for the reasons you described, nobody else would allow it in. It was only transatlantic because the people who lived near JFK were already so annoying, nobody listened to them, I guess, because they were the ones protesting most vociferously. And it went up until, I believe, 2001 or 2002. The slump in air travel after 9-11 killed it, and then there was that terrible crash of a charter Concorde in France that revealed how hot the wheels were getting on How landing. dangerous it had always yeah. been. Yeah. I think that was before 2000 because when I was in England in 2000, that's when I lived in London. That crash was in 99. You're they, right. And they, they were lamenting the loss of the Concorde then, that they would never be able to fly on the Concorde again because after the crash, they never flew again. I think that's true of Air France after the British Concorde stayed in circulation until after 9-11 because there is YouTube footage of the CNN crew that traveled on the last flight, and I believe it was 01 or 02. I think the British kept it going. Oh, I did yeah. not know that. But I think that was – the wheel thing was a huge problem. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, Air France might have said, rather than fix this, we're just going to quit. Well, that was the – yeah, that yeah. was the thing. that the, It was, impl- it was uh, implicit in the design of it. It right. was not – it was not a one-off. It was something no. that they just had lucked out all those years previous that it hadn't happened. But, right. And they didn't – coming up with a solution to the problem was more than they were willing to go through for something that was such a limited – was small. It was small. It was a, a single-aisle airplane. It was expensive. It was not available to a lot of people. It cut a six-hour flight to about three hours, I think, was how it – the appeal of it. And you're right, it just didn't take off. I think you need something like that for for trans-Pacific flights where it's a considerable drop, but then you need to be able to have enough fuel to get all the way across the Pacific. It's just, I, it's not there. They, they hadn't cracked it, in my and opinion. it becomes right. an aviation podcast. <laughs> you got to stop me. We got to go back to Ian Ball, who was plotting a kidnapping talking, right. in the United Kingdom in 1974. He's rented an apartment to and serve. And he smuggled the bu- the. the Yes. guns in on the ferry, which was all, how this all started with a ferry boat. If those ferry people hadn't let him smuggle his guns right. in. Those, those down market people on the ferry. So he uh, rents a, an apartment in a quiet London suburb, which they don't snobbishly name as they often do. Remember we did the barking murders? Oh my God. The, that well, was so yeah. funny where everybody, we were talking about a serial killer and everybody was more shocked that he was from barking. That the victims were showing up in right. barking. That they were winding from up in barking. Yes. What was he doing in barking? <laughs> like that was their big shock. Not the serial killer part. Right. They didn't seem all that put off by that, but the fact that they were winding up being murdered in barking was was just maybe more than they could stand. <laughs> Yes, Christopher? Have you been to my website lately? Why would I go to your website? You're 
sitting right here. Well, it's the place to find out all about my new books. Why would I go to your website for that? Again, you're sitting right here. All right. Well, for people who aren't right here, ChristopherRiceBooks.com is a great place to get information about my new releases. Which you'll give me copies of because I'm sitting right here. Yeah, maybe. But for those who aren't currently sitting in our studio on the Sunset Strip, check out my website, sign up for my mailing list, and check out all the posts on my blog where I talk smack about Eric Shaw Quinn. What smack? Shut up and read this new book I wrote. Fuck that and fuck ChristopherRiceBooks.com. This ad did not go as planned. This was an ad? <laughs> So Ian Ball has prepared an apartment as a safe house where he is planning to keep Princess Anne when he kidnaps her. He's even removed the lock from the inside of the bathroom door. I mean, the guy was committed. He shadows her for five days and memorizes the faces of her staff and personal police. He was police. committed to the aspects of this crime that would have nothing to do with the success <laughs> of this crime. The one part that he was not apparently just completely sort of like, eh, we'll just see how it goes, was the actual kidnapping. That's, that's good. 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 I'm glad. Princess Anne is fine and he's, yeah. you know, wherever. This went the way that it went. But Lord, yeah, all of the elaborate planning except for the part where you do the kidnapping. Kidnapping. The part that was the most shocking to me was finding out her itinerary the way that he did. Absolutely. He yeah. just called the press office and asked him, and they told him right where she'd be. Yeah. And um, so the shootout that ensues, however, is pretty formidable. Oh, my God. I yeah. could not. I did not realize that. I That was the watching this was that was the biggest shock to me. I thought it had pretty much ended with her saying. I did, too. Fuck off. So let's say we covered he he's shot the bodyguard beaten who's cowering on the other side of the door. He's not cowering, but he's shielding himself. Um, he's pulling on Princess Anne. Her husband's pulling back on the other side of her. So he readjusts. The chauffeur has kept the car running. Beaten, the bodyguard manages to climb back into the car, which it took me a minute to figure that out. It's because the driver is on the side of the car that I'm not used to. I was like, how did he do that? Oh, stupid American. Right. Um, an enraged Ian Ball pulls out another gun from the ferry hall, uh, takes aim through the window, and Beaten sticks his hand up against the window. Ball fires anyway. The bullet goes through the window and into Beaton's hand. So he's blocking the Princess Royal with his fucking hand against the glass. Um, Mark Phillips, meanwhile, her husband in the back seat is holding the door closed. Beaton then tries to kick it open with his feet, thinking it will, thinking it will knock you know Ian Ball backwards into traffic, presumably. But unfortunately, it doesn't. Ball fires again, and this bullet goes into Beaton's abdomen and into his colon. Meanwhile, spoiler alert, Beaton's being interviewed and looks, years later, looks in perfect looks shape amazing and amazing and yeah. has been shot so far in this story three different times and is still fighting the guy. He does, none of these shots stop him from continuing to defend. Like, I don't know that she could have done better with a whole security detail. This He could have used a better gun, clearly, but other than that, wow, what a hero. Uh, inside the blood-splattered car, the chauffeur now opens his door. It keeps going. Ball shoots him in the chest. Ball then goes back to the back and says to Princess Anne, come with me now. And she says, it's not bloody likely I'm going to go with you. Then she starts questioning him. What good will this do? What do you want? He replies, uh, I guess I got that wrong. I think he says to her two million pounds, but the ransom demand quoted earlier was like 25 yeah, million pounds. It was huge. But now cars are stopping. And she says, I don't have that kind of money. Don't be ridiculous. <laughs> I think it's happened in my pocketbook. She's just not having it. Right. 
A newspaper reporter jumps out of a nearby car, runs over, recognizes that it's Princess Anne's car. He tells the shooter to stop and says, these people are friends of mine. He gets shot, too. I mean, it was a bloodbath. I mean, and the Mal is this big main thoroughfare yeah. leading right up to Buckingham Palace. So it's not in some obscure country lane. This is the heart of London and one of the most heavily trafficked areas of the whole. I was I was just astonished by the details of this shootout. Yeah. Um, the police start coming. This has all happened rather quickly. Um, Ball takes off running and is rugby tackled, which I thought, well, we're definitely watching a British series yes. here. Princess Anne's nightmare is finally over. And on his person, they find a ransom note addressed to the queen saying, your daughter has been kidnapped, and here it is. He demands the equal of what would be $25 million today. Oh, okay. And a plane to fly to Switzerland, because I'm sure they'd open welcome him with open Absolutely. arms. Absolutely. Totally cool with, yeah, bring your kidnappers to Switzerland. Uh, and a blanket pardon for all offenses, all of them. Uh, miraculously, everyone involved fully recovers. Beaton goes back to work three months later in the same job, and he's awarded the George Cross by the Queen. It's the highest civilian honor for bravery in Britain. And later he is moved to the guard the Queen Actually herself. guards the Queen, like, the, continues to have a successful career guarding the royal family. Like, I just, that guy, wow, what a Superman. What, and is fine. Uh, Ball pleads guilty to all charges, including attempted murder. He's sentenced under Britain's Mental Health Act, which is the equivalent of a U.S. insanity plea. He's sent to Broadmoor, a mental hospital, for the rest of his life. As a direct result of this incident, there's a total overhaul of the protection system for the royal family. But not in time for 1982, well, which is chapter two in our story today. They dealt with the one problem. Yes, right. I, the other the little-known aspect of the, his sentence was, and Anne went to visit him at Broadmoor once a month and hit him over the head with her pocketbook <laughs> and left. That didn't happen. That did not happen. Eric's but that but if she had wanted it to, yeah. it would have happened. Because mm -hmm. that's who Anne is. I just love her. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm, I love Princess. Princess Anne and Queen Mary going further back. Just my, really, yeah. They're really, I'm really really fans. Yeah. Okay. Fast forward to 1982. And this isn't technically chapter two. This is just the second installment. And I didn't know this was going to be in the show we were talking about. This actually was featured on, I believe, season three yes. of The Crown. This yes. I'm certain of. Olivia Coleman. actually, I remember her in this scene um, or in this sequence. On a hot summer morning at just past 7 a.m., many Londoners are on their way to work. But the queen is still asleep because she's lazy. Because no, she's the queen. She's the queen. She can get up whenever she fucking well feels like it. She's alone in bed, and we're later told that the reason for this... <laughs> I loved that part of the story. I was like, wow, that's a cover story. If ever I heard one, he has his own room, and they sleep together, I assume, when they want to. They uh -huh. have all those children. So right. it happened, clearly. But um, I didn't think it was all the time. He had an, a terrible cold and an early engagement, which is like, why was he going to an early engagement with a with terrible, a terrible cold? cold? I just was like, that's a press office story, if ever I heard one. They don't sleep in the same bed, and why would they? So she wakes up alone, and she hears a rustling, and when she rolls over in bed, she sees a man, barefoot and in a filthy T-shirt, step out from behind the curtain. I would have just messed myself. Lost my shit. And he's dripping blood from his hand. Because, you know, he couldn't be, the other wasn't terrifying enough. <laughs> they were all out of Skeletor masks. Right, apparently. Yeah. So he's holding a chunk of glass in his hand, which is why he's bleeding. And he sits down on the end of the queen's bed, 
And because this special is structured the way it is, we now flash back to find out who this man is. Is Michael Fagan is his name. He's 31 years old. He's unemployed. He has been bragging to his friends about his girlfriend, Elizabeth, which we now realize was a manifestation of his stalkerish obsession with the Queen of England. Both of these stories have that in common. It was a media-obsessed fan. He's a hard drinker. He's recently divorced from the wife with whom he had four children. Uh, he's also a petty criminal. Broke and abandoned, he attempts suicide by slashing his wrists, and he does not succeed, and he develops an obsession with Queen Elizabeth. She has been done, <laughs> but not necessarily as a result of slashing his wrist. No. It was just one of the other things that happened. Um, she is being dubbed the fairy. T- or she was dubbed the fairy tale queen early in her reign, and that is something the show The Crown goes into. If you're curious about more of that, and we'll talk about that on our Insider episode, right? For all the VIPs out there. So Fagan begins staking out Buckingham Palace. He walks, stalks the grounds at all hours, plotting how to get inside. Security is tight due to an assassination, which we will talk about in our later, our next episode of TDPS Presents Christopher and Eric next week. Uh, There's closed security TV, microwave barrier fences, which sounded futuristic (laughs) in the 80s. And now doesn't exist because nobody knew what that was even then. It didn't (laughs) work. Have you ever heard of a microwave barrier fence? I don't even know what that would mean. Intruders were cooked in three minutes. It warms your coffee and your intruder. Absolutely. In under 30 seconds. Remote control locks and reinforced doors. Okay, so at 11.15 p.m., after weeks of surveying the palace, Fagan is ready to act. Just before midnight, he makes his move. He scales a gate somehow. That's literally how the narration explains it. I'm like, somehow? How did he scale the gate? He manages to evade barbed wire again. Like, was he getting help from the Avengers? Like, And then he climbs up a drain pipe to an open window. He peers into the window, terrifying a housemaid who alerts security. And because the security guard officer is a man, he dismisses her as hysterical and doesn't do a thorough search. Um, And meanwhile, Fagin climbs the drain pipe, reaches another open window, and is wandering freely around the palace. He even sits on the throne. There's almost no security inside the palace once it's, you get in. It's the, right. It's that It's that. Uh, all the security is outside. They assume you can't get over the walls and into the palace, yeah. so they didn't really bother to have much security in the palace itself because they thought it was so secure. And, you know, leaving the windows open, I have to say, that seems like hmm, yeah. maybe a part of the overall security uh, strategy. So on this particular night, it turns out the queen, the queen, excuse me, I get you and the queen confused. I see how that would happen. We're both all about duty and stiff upper lips. <laughs> yeah. Stiff upper lip and wagon tongues. Um, so she is across town at Windsor Castle entertaining the American president at the time, Ronald Reagan. Uh, so he plans another break I loved the shot that they chose for this special. She's not paying any attention to him at all. She's turned (laughs) talking completely focused to somebody else at the table. He could have been anybody or not even there. It just cracked me up. Um, It's 1982. It's the 29th year of her reign. Britain is at war in the Falklands. Sure, we can call that a war. And uh, Princess Andrew is a fighter pilot there, which if you know anything about Princess Andrew, was terrible for the effort in the Falklands. Um, but the queen, as always, <laughs> he carries was bad. on. He Princess bad... Andrew, uh, Princess, Andrew. <laughs> Princess Andrew, Prince Andrew, uh, putting aside 
in a, in this particular moment, um, his uh, later entanglement with Jeffrey Epstein uh, just, you know, was like, we don't even talk about We're not about going it. down that rabbit hole. Prince Andrew was never known for competence. If you read The Palace Papers by Tina Brown, which is, if you're if remotely interested in the subject, is a very dishy read. Prince Andrew once sat down with the traffic authority of the city of London and said to him that the traffic could be solved if they would simply remove all the stoplights. That when you had a red light, it slowed traffic down. And when there was no red light, traffic flowed easily. Just so like, that's he is not there is a syndrome that Tina Brown speculates in the book that he has, which is you do not have a proper um awareness of your qualifications it's very we call it white privilege now <laughs> but it was <laughs> it's got a name it's got a psychological just, name yeah there doesn't seem to be a full grasp of the situation no. if you think that it's uh red lights that are the cause of traffic problems. Right. like that's actually allowing traffic to anyway anyway okay so we got it Back to the second break-in. So Fagan missed out on the queen the first time, so he decides to return a second time. Which I didn't realize there was two visits, which yeah. is like, oh, my God, well, that's the most shocking indictment of the security system you could possibly have. He came back. Well, I also I want to add this, which is, is my speculation. The details about drinking the bottle of wine and sitting on the throne, I think that was Fagan's account later because, spoiler alert, he's going to be arrested I don't know if there's actual proof that he got as far as the throne. The only proof that they had was there was um, his fingerprints mm. were found on stuff mm-hmm. and the broken ashtray came from a different room. All of those were Yeah, but that's part the of, second but, visit. But the, but the first visit, he went into the coin room and there were fingerprints of him being there. The stamp room. The yeah. stamp room. Right. I'm sorry, wrong, I guess. Philately, not... <laughs> <laughs> Whatever, numismism, numismism. Anyway, so, okay, he's back. It's 6.45 a.m. I don't know why he he decided to come at sunrise. The other thing is that's really keeping her safe is that there's so many rooms in Buckingham Palace. (laughs) Finding hers was no small feat. Uh, But he uses the same drain pipe. He finds an unblocked window again. It turns out it was the room with the royal stamp collection, which we just covered. So we're now on the second visit. It's guarded by a high-tech crisscross of laser beams. He triggers the alarms, but the beams have given off so many false alarms, the guards turn it off without investigating. Gotta love these guards. Yeah, really? Like, wow, dudes. Uh, He can't get out of that room because the door is locked, so he climbs out the window, carries on up the drain pipe, as they say in Britain, to another open window. Again, two open windows. This is four so far in this, uh, this story. He ends up on a roof with wet tar. His shoes stick to it, so he takes his shoes off and continues going, carries on, if you will. I Wet tar? Yeah. I don't understand. Doesn't tar have to be incredibly hot to still be wet? Well, if it's 6.45 a.m. in the morning, they presumably laid it the day before, so it's cooled a bit, but it's still viscous. I guess. I know that from my tar lane Yes, days. I was going to say. <laughs> Boy, that's a that's a here I am the Prince Andrew of Tar. I'm telling you, that's that's really very um maybe that's what happened, but I just was like that was a detail where I was like, okay, he lost his shoes. Right. We know he wound up barefoot, but that seems like an odd detail. Okay, so here we are. He's inside the palace, he's barefoot, he's filthy, he's searching the halls for the queen. And as you pointed out earlier, the palace has over seven hundred and seventy-five rooms. 
So it's it's no easy feat to find which room the queen is actually in. But he passes a chambermaid in the hallway, and she just says, hey, hey, "Jerry, you know." Because apparently, people dripping blood and filthy and shoeless and covered with tar are a regular occurrence in the hallways at Buckingham Palace. So now he's on the first floor. He's made it to where the royal bedrooms are. He finds a cut crystal ashtray and smashes it. He cuts himself and begins dripping blood, which explains why he's bleeding when he encounters the queen. The night watchman shift has ended an hour earlier, and his replacement of footman has stepped out to walk the queen's corgis. So um, he enters the queen's bedroom, and that's when, you know— Through the door. Yeah. From the hall. So now we're— like the queen. I just— I know. Oh, my God. Now we're back at the encounter— as the narration tells us, the queen taps into her years of emotional restraint and attempts to mollify the man. Meanwhile, she's frantically the detail. pressing a panic button on her bedside, unaware that the wiring has never been completed. So, so it's not connected to anything. Nobody knows there's a problem because the panic button is not connected. But the queen, the master of small talk, Absolutely. keeps him talking. Then she slowly picks up the phone and calmly requests that police be sent to her room. Fagan has no reaction. The operator relays the request to the palace police office that calls logged in at 7.18 a.m. They assume the operator is mistaken. Because she's a woman. Yeah. Six minutes have now passed. The queen rings the operator again. Fagan... Can you believe it? I just... I would have had... Like, I would have reinstated beheading. Yeah. <laughs> We'll now have executions. They're going to have executions briefly, but there are a group of people who are definitely going to get their heads cut off because, God damn it! Um, they uh, so the queen devises a plot. He offers, uh, she offers him a cigarette, and but she tells them they're in the adjoining room. So I think in this time she has discovered that Fagin is not well, and her staff sucks. <laughs> <laughs> she runs into a chambermaid, and I would say she, she encounters a chambermaid in the adjoining room. They continue the ruse. The chambermaid must just be like, what the fuck is going on? Who is this man? Uh, and then the footman returns from walking the dogs, and he puts himself between Fagin and the queen. The footman gives him more cigarettes and whiskey until the police arrive. And then all hell fucking breaks loose, and they wrestle him to the floor and take him away. And... Uh, the executions begin. <laughs> and the queen begins having people beheaded. Bring me my axe. <laughs> Had it with all of you. Let's start with the person who was supposed to have wired my panic button. So uh, the Sc Scotland Yard begins an investigation. Because it's such a, it, it really is so um, hard to understand what's happened here. A media leak splashes the story across the paper a few days later. Fagan brags that he did a hard day's work for the queen by proving how lax her security was. Well, he did. Yeah. Uh, he tells the police that he planned to kill himself in front of the queen, but decided it would not be a nice thing to do. Which is lovely. And it's this is an interesting sequence in The Crown. Because yes. the Morton uses it as an opportunity to, whether it's fact, uh, fictional or not... Um, to um, have the queen presented with a picture of life in England that she might not readily be yeah. exposed to. Thatcher's England. Yes. Yeah. What Thatcher's England was really like for people who were not 
rich and royal. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So um, then, I don't know if that's true, but it was an interesting aspect of the story because they had to talk about something. So he talks to her in the in the crown right. about the conditions in which he is finding himself in his life Absolutely. and his inability to find work and take care of himself. Um, he makes a spectacle of himself in court, however. He loudly sacks his lawyer. He puts his feet on the railing. I love the British include that as make put his feet on the railing. Claimed his father was a famous Nazi war criminal. <laughs> That's <laughs> listed there with putting his feet on the railing. The queen declines to press charges. He's only charged with stealing a $5.40 bottle of wine. So they had two buck chuck at the palace. <laughs> he also revealed the terrible wine selection at Buckingham Palace. Yes. Uh, a jury cleared him, however, of that offense, so apparently they didn't have enough proof. Well, they just, it was bad wine. I, that was punishment enough. He's sent for psychiatric evaluation and committed to Park Lane High Security Mental Hospital. He's released three months later. Fifteen years later, he's sentenced to four years in prison for dealing heroin. Oops. There's a complete overhaul of palace security. <laughs> Following the beheadings and the, <laughs> and the, the reinstatement of no uh, capital punishment in England. Armed protection officers were placed inside the building. The special I wanted to see was about the complete overhaul of palace security. Yes. I wanted to be in those meetings. Everyone is fired. <laughs> Get out. And your citizenship is revoked. The, the overhaul has begun. Enjoy Portugal. <laughs> See scenic Portugal. Get out. Get out. Okay, so that was um, unexpected because I thought we were only going to be doing Princess Anne's story. Maybe we'll talk about this on the Insider episode, but, like, I'm interested on why I think you kind of nailed it. I think that the Fagan incident in the series, The Crown, on Netflix became an opportunity to talk about Thatcher's England, and they didn't – the Princess Anne kidnapping. I think – it is so weird to me that I have auto placed the queen, the Ken, Princess Anne's kidnapping in the in the crown. I honestly, I can almost believe that I saw it, and yet it's clearly not. So yeah. I I don't know why I think that's true, but yeah, I think it was. There was an opportunity for a, a that interesting discussion between Olivia Coleman's mm-hmm. version of Elizabeth and. The, the Fagan character about Thatcher's England and and part of his inspiration to do the break-in was the 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 mean circumstances in which he found himself um, in a country that was not yeah. doing a very good job of looking after its citizens. Absolutely. Well, actually, subjects. I don't believe subjects, they are subjects. Yeah. Subjects, subjects in England. Queen. Uh, next week, uh, we will be doing another episode of Royal Inquest. Because we just can't get enough. Season one. And because we're doing our salute to the crown. Episode eight, season one, will be the episode we are doing. And this was an incident that is very much featured in the crown, and it is the assassination of Lord Mountbatten. Yeah, this was a very big deal in the in the, the history of the crown and the history of both of those countries. My God. Um, and we are also working on a VIPP mm-hmm. insider episode yeah. um, that will be revealed to you at some point in some way that we will ultimately figure out. But but the links will be in the the um, the newsletter when we Listen, figure out how to put just, them in the newsletter. Let's bottom line and the, this. The yes. way to be a VIPP is to sign up for the newsletter. And then there will be private discussion groups that are only available to VIPPs. Yes. That when we figure out how to do that as but well. But here's the thing. We're going to get emotional and, and honest with you guys. We're really sick of Facebook. We love you guys and we love interacting with you, but we're looking for our own uninterrupted, 
unpolluted way to enter. All I do on Facebook is remove those spam bot messages from those weird accounts that are posting medical photos of I don't know what. Facebook is just getting weird. And, it, and we are looking for a way to talk to you more directly and be more communal with all of you. So join our newsletter because that's where we're going. It's not just going to be a newsletter where it's like, buy this, buy this, and, click and we're on not, this. And we're not, and you know, the, the reason for the podcast is we want you to buy our book. So that's always <laughs> going to be part of everything. Let's Don't do, be that candid. Buy, buy our books, no, buy our books, buy our, buy our books. books. Yeah. I'm not ashamed of that. We're not right. asking you for anything else. And you don't have to buy our books, but we would really appreciate it. Mm -hmm. Um but yeah, the 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 we're not, and we won't get rid of Facebook. We will still be no, there, we but we are looking for better ways to um, be in touch with you and to keep you in touch with us and with TDPS presents Christopher and Eric. So until next time, and for how the fuck do we end our show? God damn it, Eric, you threw me off by being so authentic. Um, <laughs> Just start. It'll come out. <laughs> Until then and forever after, I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And you're listening to TDPS Presents Christopher. And Eric. See? Thanks. Thanks. This is TDPS.